Good morning. Our second Bible reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Please turn with me uh, in your Bibles or Pew Bibles or otherwise follow uh, up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, thank you, Amanda, for reading so well and so clearly. And thank you, Jenny, for praying on our behalf. We can say a big amen to that, can't we? Really reflected the prayers of my heart. Well, friends, over the next seven weeks or so, we'll be uh, starting a new series and we'll be looking at various topics that really lie at the heart of Christian living. So we'll be looking at the topic of faith, love, hope, suffering, holiness, leadership and prayer. Now, as Christians, these are topics, themes, core issues to the Christian life that we not only need to know and have as Christians, but we need to continue to grow in each of them. And so more faith and deeper love and greater hope and more kingdom prayers. And isn't that our desire as a church, that we continue to grow in all these things? We never go past them, but we grow in them. That we'll continue to grow in these things in increasing measure for the glory of God, for our own maturity, until the day we die. Now, just so you know, each year, as a pattern, what we do, what we've been doing anyway in our evening service, is that we try to cover a gospel each year. We try to cover an epistle that is one of the letters of the New Testament. We try to cover an Old Testament each year. And we also try to cover a topical series. This is our topical series. Now, when we go through books of the Bible, we go chapter by chapter, book. Uh, book by book and, and we do that because God sets the agenda we don't skip the difficult parts and so what we're doing from this week on for, for the next seven weeks is a topical series it's thematic and so we want to be understanding these things for our good and that's a pattern that we've been doing in our evening service for the last few years anyway but it is my hope and prayer that after this series all of us every single one of us in this church will in fact be more mature as Christians, because of the Word of God and because of the work of God in our lives. And so let's begin by praying that prayer, that that might be true for us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that the words 
of my mouth might be your words for your people and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you. And that through these series, our faith, our love might grow, all aspects that lie at the centre of our life might grow. And we pray that this might happen for our good, but also for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I do like to begin today with a question, and it is a serious question that will require deep personal thinking. And the question is, what confidence do you have? What confidence do we have that we will make it in the end? That we will all make it in the end and we will make it to glory? That we will make it to heaven? How confident are you in your heart of hearts that you will make it in the end? Because what we learn from the Bible is that sadly, not everyone will. It is a sad fact of the truth of Scripture. Not everyone will. In fact, not everyone in the church will make it in the end. Without any doubt, perhaps one of the most frightening of passages in Scripture uh, are these words that comes from the lips of Jesus himself. In Matthew 7, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, isn't that frightening? To live your whole life thinking, I'm sure I'm safe. I'm sure I belong to the kingdom of God. I do all Christian things. I go to church, I read the Bible, I pray. Surely I belong to heaven when my end comes. But only to find out at the very end and to hear these words. Away from me, from Jesus. Away from me, you evildoer. Now, what's more frightening than that? And the fact of Scripture is that that will happen. Now, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? How confident are you that you'll make it to the very end? But now, on the flip side, perhaps one of the most joyful, most comforting, most reassuring passages of Scripture also comes from the lips of Jesus himself. In one of his parables, Jesus said this in Matthew 25, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, wouldn't those be the words you want to hear at the end? Not the first one, but these words, being with our master in perfect happiness for all eternity. And so let me ask you this morning, how do you move from Matthew 7 to Matthew 25? What's the difference between the first and the second? How do I make sure that I am one of those who will make it to the end in glory and who will not be caught out by surprise in the end? Well, you see, the difference between the two is, in fact, very simple. Very simple. The difference between the first and the second is simply this. It is faith. Genuine, saving, persevering faith in Jesus Christ. 
It is the difference between being welcomed or rejected by Jesus. It is the difference between making it in the end or not. And that is why the Christian faith is called a faith. It stands unique amongst all the world religions, if you think about it. None of the world religions put faith at the dominant centre of relationship with God. None of them. Only Christianity. You see, in Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, the believers will not claim that at the heart of their religion is faith or no faith, belief or unbelief. But in Christianity, in our faith, making it to glory in the end is all grounded in having this faith, this genuine, saving, persevering faith in Christ, clinging on to the divine promises of God. Like the Apostle Paul who said towards the end of his life, he said, these wonderful words, he said, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, aren't those words the words we want to be able to claim for ourselves? That that is true of me as well. That when my end comes, I can say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And that's what we'll be looking at today. Because today I want us all to reflect on how confident are we that we will make it to the end, that we will make it to glory, so that we might have faith now and continue to grow in it and be confident and say those words as our own. And so let's reflect on this and think about this. Do keep 1 Peter 1 open. We'll work our way through those few verses what is this faith that we must have? What do we mean by having faith? Well, faith is, faith is having dependence on God and his promises. Faith is in God and his promises. And so to have faith is to depend on God. And what that means is I am turning away from trusting myself for my own salvation. That's what we're doing when we're having faith in God. We're not having faith in ourselves. I mean, I can't save myself. I don't know if you realise that. You can't save yourself. I don't know if you realise that too. I can't deal with my own guilt and shame and sin. And so I'm turning away from trusting myself for my salvation. And instead, I'm turning to God and trusting him for my salvation. I'm leaning on him. That's what faith means. I'm surrendering myself to him. I am taking God at his word. Now, just so we can picture what this is like, to have faith, to depend on someone. It's a bit like, you know, the game kids play or um, even adults play. I played this. The game called Trust. Have you played that game before? Trust? Now, the way this works, I played this game this past week with our kids the idea is that I stand behind them and they are to, in a sense, trust me. They are to be, be stiff in their legs and body and they are to just lean back in free fall, hoping and trusting that I would catch them. They are not to bend their knees, they are not to step out of place. If they do, it means they do not trust me. And so we played this game this past week to see whether they do trust their father. To, to trust that I won't, I won't just let them drop and 
cracked their heads on the floor and brains splattered everywhere, so, so they are to trust me. Well, we played this game this past week, and, and it really helped me see which of my three kids trusted me most and which one did not trust me at all. And in fact, one of my kids, oh, I was a bit heartbroken. He didn't really trust me at all. He was too scared. He would always step aside and not lean back. I even tried this with Yvonne, and I was wondering, will she trust me? Well, she showed very little trust, but <laughs> eventually she played along. She was afraid, but I said, you're not too heavy. It's okay. I can support you. I'll, I'll save you. But you see, that is what faith is, to depend on, to lean on. And so that game showed what trust is to our kids. And it's in fact what it's like with God, to depend on him, to lean on him. It's in fact how a missionary, John Payton, in the 1800s, how he described faith. Now he was a missionary to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, and he went there wanting to reach the people there with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he worked hard at translating the Bible into the local language. But when he got to the word belief or faith or trust, he struggled to find a word to translate that in the local language. They didn't have a word faith or belief. And so one day what he did was, when one of the indigenous helpers came in, Peyton, what he did, he raised up his two feet off the floor, he sat back in his chair and he asked his helper, what am I doing? And the helper used the word which means to lean your whole weight upon. And then Peyton thought, well, that's it. That is the word I'll use to translate the word faith, to lean your whole weight upon. And so that's what it means for us to trust God and his promises, to lean our whole weight upon God and what he has promised to us. And because God is absolutely trustworthy, we can absolutely trust his promises. It makes sense. He made a promise and he will keep it so we can trust him. You see, the flip side will be foolishness. It will be foolish to trust anyone who can't keep their promise, but not so with God. And so that is what faith is. Faith is not in myself. Faith is not in the amount of faith I have. That's just faith in faith. But faith is in the Godward direction. It is leaning on him, not myself or anyone else. And so what are the promises of God? What has God promised us as people, as Christians, that we can place our trust in? Well, we see in Scripture, we see these things. The Bible tells us we are wretched sinners. We are depraved in our minds and our hearts. But then God comes along and he says, I will forgive you. I'll cleanse all your past, all your guilt or your shame. The Bible says, we're all headed to hell. We will face God in judgment. We will face the wrath of God. And there is no hope for us. But then God comes along and he says, I will give you hope. That is my promise. I will give you heaven. The Bible tells us, we are all as good as dead when the end comes. It will be Jesus saying those words, away from me, you evildoer. But then God comes along and he says, I will promise you hope 
and I will raise you up to resurrection life. Those are the promises of God to us made clear in Scripture. And that's what the Apostle Peter knew. He trusted that and he praised God for that. And that's what we see in in the first verse of our reading, verse 3. Have a look with me. Peter praising God, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is what God has promised and that is what God has done. There is now living hope because of Jesus. There is now eternal life for those who trust in Jesus. And it's to be seen here, Peter tells us, as an inheritance. Now one of my friends just this past week told me, he was really thrilled by this, he just came into a large inheritance. His grandfather, a very rich man, left a huge estate and he's very happy. But compared to this inheritance, it's got nothing on this. All the inheritance in this world has got nothing on this because this inheritance, we're told here, is kept in heaven by God for us. It will never fade. It will never disappear. You'll never use it up. It is kept in heaven by God for us. Look at verse 4 now. You see, this is into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil and fade, kept in heaven for you. Now, do you notice that? Notice that it is God who will do the keeping. See, it's not like you know, the wills and the estates. It's not up to some lawyer or executor of a will. But this is God who gives the inheritance and this is God who keeps the inheritance for us. But then more than that, what we learn now is in fact quite profound. It's not like each day all of us who are Christians, we have to live a life where we have to muster up by our human willpower, faith within us, and to persevere in that way. Well, no. We're in fact told here that God himself is our keeper, our protector, our shield. And that should just blow our minds. How will we make it to the end? It's not up to us. It's in fact up to God. And God, with all the powers of the universe, will keep us safe in believing and in trusting in him till the very end. Our faith itself is sustained by God himself. And that's what we see in verse 5. Have a look now. Who through faith, that is the Christian, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so my question How can any one of us be certain with full confidence in our heart of hearts that we will make it to the very end? Well, genuine faith is in the promises of this faithful God. Not in myself, not in each other, not in the world, not in the government, not not in anything, but in God alone. But then how do we know Those of us who are Christians, we've got faith, we express faith, we exercise faith, but how do we know that our faith that we have in our hearts, that the faith we have now, that the faith we have today, is for real? It's the real deal. How do we know that? Well, what we read on to find out is that genuine faith 
is persevering faith. It means that I will continue to believe in God each and every day. I will continue to lean my whole weight upon God, not just in the good times, but also in the bad times. Even when I'm suffering, I'll continue to cling on to God. Even when I'm in the darkest pits of life, I will continue to cling to God. Even when I feel despair and even depression, I will still cling to God. It is persevering faith. And so how do I know that the faith I have, the faith that you have, is for real? Well, I will trust in God still, and I don't stop trusting. Genuine faith is persevering faith. In fact, what Peter tells us now is that it is, in fact, through suffering and trials and hardship that my faith is proven genuine. It is through the difficult times of life that my faith is tested and refined. Now, Peter describes here our life like being in a crucible. The image is like how you refine gold and make it more pure and make it more refined. And so the way you refine gold is you heat it up, put it under intense fire, you melt the gold, and you get rid of the impurities, the dross that comes up to the surface. You take that away and you end up with a more refined gold. And that is what faith is like, Peter tells us. It is refined by fire. Fire refines our faith, which already says to us, we will experience fire. All Christians will experience fire of some form because it's God's way of refining our faith, which also says to us that it is not going to be pleasant when our faith is refined. It will never be pleasant. You know, being heated by fire is not pleasant. It is through trials, through pain, through hardships, through suffering that our faith is refined like gold. And I suspect this is true of your experience in life. I know this is true of myself. It, is, it has been through the difficult times in my life that I'm left asking the question, it is when it's tough and difficult, I'm left asking the question, do I still trust God in this, during this darkest time? And the answer has always been, well, well of course. I must because who else will I turn to? And it's perhaps the same for many of you. And I know in our church, amongst us, there are many who suffer and are in really deep, difficult times of life now. Now, people might be questioning, why cancer? And why me? Why me, God? Why put that upon me? But then the question comes, do I trust God still in this? Well, of course I will. Because who else will I turn to? I will cling to God even tighter. And so Peter tells us, faith is refined and it is proven genuine through suffering. Have a look, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. You see, there's the promise there. The promise is that we will suffer trials. We will all suffer but it is only brief. And then verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold. Try to understand and, and reflect on that for a moment. Your faith of greater worth than gold. 
What Peter is telling us is that our faith is more precious than the most precious metal in this world. And then we read on, this gold which perishes, though refined by fire. Now what does that mean? Well, we all know that gold does not perish. Gold does not corrode, and that's why it's so expensive. That's why it's so precious. But when compared to our faith, gold will perish, our faith will not. They see the contrast there. Faith will last, but gold will not. And this faith, now Peter tells us, we read on, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so how do I know that my faith that I have in my heart is the real one, is the real deal? Well, I know that it's real if it's persevering faith. I will continue to believe no matter what. No matter what experiences I encounter in life, I'll continue to believe. Now, we hate difficult times. We don't want to suffer. But what we're told here, it is through suffering that our faith is refined and refined and refined. And finally, what we see here in this passage is that genuine faith is also a joyful faith. Though we will all suffer at some points in our Christian living, in our Christian life, we will suffer pain and hardship and afflictions and trials, just like anyone else. Christians are not immune to this. But because of the glimpse of eternity that we've been given, because of our faith in the God who is trustworthy and keeps his promises, because we are leaning our whole weight upon him, Peter now tells us there is this inexpressible joy that we have in our hearts. And so what that says is that as Christians, we are to live joyful lives, not downcast and mopey and hopeless and pessimistic because we've got God on our side, just like in the kids' talk. We're always on the winning side because we're on the side of the King of Kings. And so we have joy because our faith in Christ is a saving faith and it will mean that we will make it to the very end. And so that's how Peter ends. Look at verses 8 to 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so this is the type of joy that is so great that Peter describes he as inexpressible. You see, despite what happens in life, despite what might come my, what my way, despite the deepest darkness that I might even experience, I experience it always with God. I'm never alone. Heaven is my home, that's what I know. God is my Father, that is what I know and trust. And Jesus is my Saviour. Heaven's my home, God's my Father, Jesus is my Saviour. And so genuine faith is joyful faith. Of course we should be joyful. God is, God is my Father. God is your Father. It is persevering faith, and it is faith in God and his promises. And so today I began with that question. For us all to reflect, 
Will I make it to the very end? Will I make it to glory? Will I make it to heaven? Will we be one of those Jesus rejects and says, Away from me, you evildoer. I mean, I do not want to hear those words. Or will we be the one Jesus accepts and says, Good and faithful servant, come and share your master's happiness. What we see in this passage, the difference comes down to, do I have faith in Christ? Do I have genuine, saving, persevering faith in Christ? Even if it's as small as a mustard seed, that will make the world of difference. In fact, that will make an eternity of difference. And so, so do I have persevering faith in Christ? We have to ask ourselves that. And it's a question that we need to search our heart of hearts. Am I for real? Is my trust, is my faith, is my dependence really in God or someone else or something else? And so today is really for you to be convinced in yourself where you stand before God. You see, what God wants from us is just that that we depend on him like a loving father. God does not want us to work for anything. God does not want us to pay for anything. God does not want us to earn anything. I mean, how is it even possible if you think about it? How is it possible that any one of us can try to think and live a life where we're paying God off for all his blessings? How can we pay God for anything? How can we pay God for the forgiveness of our sins and shame and guilt? We can't pay God off for that, and that's not what God wants anyway. Or how can any one of us think that we can work hard enough to do the stuff that God guarantees? I mean, as hard as any one of us works, we cannot raise the dead. None of us can. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. We just don't have that power. But God can, and he promises that. And how can any one of us ever think that we can stand before God one day and declare that I deserve to be in heaven with you? No way. You see, what God wants from us is not for us to work for anything. It's not for us to earn anything. It's not for us to pay for anything. What God wants from us is just like a father. Take him at his word. Take him at his promise. His promise in his son, Jesus Christ, of all those things. And so the question is, will I and have I and will I continue to lean my whole weight upon God? Will I trust God and not myself? Because if my faith is in God and not me or anyone else, even in suffering, then I will make it to the end. That is the promise. I will make it to glory in the end. That is the promise. Not because of me, but because of God. I'm just leaning on him, and he catches me. And that's why the great reformers, during the Reformation, they spoke of faith alone. It's not by works or faith plus anything else. It is faith alone in Christ alone that saves. And so that question again for each one of us this morning to ask ourselves in our heart of hearts, am I trusting in Christ alone? Is my faith in Christ? Because in the end, the reality is that I suspect this is true of every church. 
There might be people who would be able to fool each other just by doing Christian things. Go to church, pray, read the Bible, do Christian things. They might be able to fool each other. They might be even good enough to fool themselves that they have genuine faith. But there is no fooling Christ in the end. It will all be laid bare. There's no fooling the Lord of the universe. And so again, each of us, we have to ask ourselves, is my faith in God alone? Now just so we feel the seriousness of this question and the seriousness of this assessment that we need to make of ourselves and also to feel the urgency. Just yesterday I was called out to the palliative care unit at Winterna Hospital. It was to see a dying 89-year-old woman. She was on her last legs. The nurse told me, the son told me, she probably only had, had, had hours to live. She might not even be around today anymore. She's not from this church. And so yesterday afternoon, I went in to visit her at, at the hospital. She was very frail. Her, her, her breathing was laboured. But it was the son who asked me to come in. He was wanting a Presbyterian minister to come and say a prayer or just say something, to bring some comfort, just, just say something, do something Christian. Now, they were not Christians at all. And so before I went in, the son himself, not a Christian, he told me, well, this dying mother of his, not religious, didn't go to church, but she was baptised as an infant in South Yarra. What do you do as a minister when you get a call like this and you've been asked to come in? What should I do? Well, I, I told the nurse, I'm not Roman Catholic. I don't do the last rites. That's not what we do. But as a Christian, I believe in God. I believe in the promises is made in Scripture. And so what I can do is I can read parts of Scripture. I can pray for her while she's alive and for the family. And so that's what I did. So before I went in, I told the son, this is what I'll do. So I went in trying to bring comfort. I mean, she's there and her last few hours on earth. The family's there and they're grieving and very sad. And so I open up to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Read the psalm. Not sure how much she was hearing or understanding. But then I said to her, there is this good shepherd. I mean, you don't have much more to go, but there is this good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross to lay down his life for his sheep. In these last hours, cling to him. Trust in him. You might not have during your life, but cling to him as your only Lord and Saviour. Have faith in him. And so I shared that with her, and I prayed for her and the family, that they might somehow express genuine faith, even in these last moments, even in her dying hours. And, and it was my prayer and hope that somehow, even a little seed of faith, but I don't know. Don't know what will happen of her. Don't know what was happening inside of her heart or her mind. We entrust that to God. But you see, that's all it takes. That's really all it takes to move from one to the other. To have that assurance, that confidence, that by faith in Christ alone, I will make it to glory. I will make it to heaven. God has promised. And so the question is, will I take God at his word and lean wholly on him?
Now, for us here this morning, we're not in palliative care, and thank God for that. But we want to decide today. We want to make sure we're clear today, we're safe today, before we end up in palliative care one day. I want to trust in Christ and not me, and I'll be safe from today onwards because of God. I'm safe in his hands from today onwards. And so if that is you, let me invite you to come and speak to me afterwards. I'll be around the front, uh, up at the door, but also at the front. Come and speak to me afterwards. But now, for many of us, what when life is so difficult and draining and tough? And we do see in our church, we prayed for, for Barb, who just had surgery this past week. Life can be difficult, and it is. It can be a burden. And it can be heartbreakingly painful at times. Well, faith says, I will persevere in trusting God and never give up. As hard as it is, as hopeless as it feels, I will continue to trust in God because where else will I turn? You see, that's, that's a good way to wake up each morning, isn't it? I don't know whether this is going to be a good day or a bad day. I do not know whether this is going to be an easy day or a hard day. But it is a day I want to do with the Lord. Be in the Lord's hands today. And so I will trust in you today. I will persevere in faith. Because who else will I have to turn to? In fact, that's how I begin each day. I say a little prayer. I say a prayer for my kids. A prayer that I've been praying for a few years and it's scripted. It's on my phone. And I pray this same prayer. You see, as a parent, it's very easy for those of us who are parents to just pray for those we love, young kids, old kids, grandchild, anyone. It's very easy just to pray, Lord, give them comfort, give them security, protect them today, help them to achieve and succeed. Very easy to pray those prayers. And, and they're not bad prayers to pray, but they're not the best prayers to pray. And so each day I would pray that God would give my kids right experiences. Experiences that will cause them to persevere in faith so that they will make it to the end, so that they will make it to glory far more important than succeeding in this world, so that they will learn to lean each day wholly upon God. And so as I've been growing as a Christian, I've been learning prayers from wiser Christians, a lot of wise Christians around in our church and, and around in this world. I've been learning the prayers of wiser Christians and making their prayers my own. And this was a prayer I learned from Don Carson. He's a brilliant theologian and pastor. A prayer he prayed for his children that I've adopted and made my own prayer for my kids. And it goes like this. Each day I pray, Lord, I pray that Esther, Caleb and Ethan will have enough opposition to make them strong, enough insults to make them choose, enough hard decisions to make them see that following Jesus brings with it a cost, a cost eminently worth it, but still a cost. And then I pray this. I pray that they will have enough hardship, not ease of life and comfort, but enough hardship that they will learn to depend on you that they will have enough faith to persevere till the end, that they will have enough hope, that they will live with excited anticipation for the kingdom of God. That's what I pray for my kids. I mean, that's what I want for myself. And I hope that's what we, we want for each other, not ease of life, 
not the comforts of life, but faith that is proven genuine, refined through hardship and suffering. I mean, what's more important than to make sure that we all make it to the end? And so each day, I don't know what day is going to be like, but I will persevere joyfully in faith today. And of course, finally, we persevere in faith, not by our own willpower. We must never understand or think that this is my work, that I trust in God, that's my effort. No, not at all. But it is by the power of God himself who protects and shields and guards us. Jim Packer, J.R. Packer, in his brilliant book, Knowing God, a must-read for all Christians, he puts this beautifully. He said, he said this in his book. Your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. That is what we must understand of our faith. It's not our work or effort. It is God's work in us. It is God holding onto us and clinging tightly onto us. And so will I make it to the very end? Well, we will if we trust in Christ and not ourselves. Will I make it to the end? Well, we will by persevering in faith and not giving up. Will I make it to the end? Well, we will by the power of God himself who keeps us safe. And if that is true of us, if that is true of you, then we can say Paul's beautiful words as our very own. By the power of God, by the grace of God, by the love of God, by the mercy of God, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Amen. Let's pray.